from KQED. Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Carly. And I'm Jamidra. And we're the hosts of The Cooler. In a world of movie sequels, franchises, and reboots, we'll be naming and shaming the characters we're sick and tired of, but also the ones we wish would slide into our cinematic DMs once more. Mm. I liked that. (laughs) And I'll be sharing a juicy conversation I had with Gilmore Girls star Keiko Agena about how she really feels about what the writers did to her character. They did her dirty. Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. And she's going to explain why being a major screw-up is actually a good thing. Thank God for that. Great news for us. And we're also going to talk about how high-end department stores and the fashion industry continues to have me effed up. Mm. Emmanuel, Jamidro, I need your help. Come to my rescue. Mm -hmm. We're here for you, yeah. Okay. Little story about me. This weekend... I went to see the new Predator movie. Why? Great question. Number one, I am a 12-year-old boy (laughs) in the skin of a human woman. Wow. And number two, I love that OG Predator movie. It's great. I'm guessing neither of you are gigantic fans. I just remember slime and what I perceived to be like hot, smelly breath and then the tentacle (laughs) mohawk. That's the only thing I remember about Predator. I mean, you're not on the right track with the slime. Okay. He was slimy? I mean, I'm thinking alien. That's what it is. I'm, yeah, never mind. Go ahead. I mean, he is an alien. Emmanuel, how about you? I don't know her duck is. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I mean, mucus aside. So I go to see this movie. It's like the umpteenth outing for the Predator franchise, right? It's called The Predator. I left the theater thinking, you know what? I don't think I ever need to see another movie starring The Predator ever again. Hmm. I'm done. I am done with it. After so many movies, I don't need to see this big, tall space alien doing his thing. And so this cinematic experience led me to think, what is with pop culture, specifically movies, I will say, continually reheating and reserving the same characters and figures to us all the time? It is so formulaic. Hmm. They're scared of taking a risk. I understand that, but try a little harder. They're being paid millions and millions of dollars, correct? Try harder. Remember in the 1990s when R&B and rap was just all about sampling? Yeah, Remember? And it was like every song that you heard was like a remake or like a sample of some other song. That's pretty much where we are with the movie. What's that ding? Oh, it's the microwave. We're eating another song (laughs) that you've heard before. So do you buy into this, like this idea of comfort and familiarity that you go to the movies, you're like, yes, I know what I'm getting. I know this character before. I've seen them before. They're played by the same person. He just looks a little bit older. Mm, no, I don't like franchise movies. I think for me, if if I like something or I like the idea of watching a familiar story or being a part of a familiar story, I'm like all about the book adaptation. Mm. Like I can go for that. Like I can you can give me a book adaptation. I'm I'm for that. We may disagree on the characters or how, you know, it all plays out. But me going to 25 different versions of Superman or Green Lantern or Batman or whatever, you can keep it. Well, it's not challenging you. It yeah. does, it's not bringing you anything original or new. And we all know why this is, right? It's money. I actually uh, did some digging into a very informative Financial Times article, may I say. Oh. I read the FT now. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's all about money. It's not just the returns that you can make off the super successful franchise, especially if it's a superhero movie. But 
you can cut down as a studio on the amount of pricey advertising you have to do for your movie if the audiences already know who's in it. They already know the characters and the setup. That's like a whole bunch of advertising that you don't have to do because people know what they are getting. Okay, so now you make me feel like a cheap date. You got to work for it. (laughs) (laughs) Just to show how far this trend has gone, even Call Me By Your Name, an indie heartfelt romance is getting a sequel. Uh, Like, we don't need it. It is possible to just love something and have that be enough. That said, any amount of Atomic Blonde sequels Charlize Theron wants to make, I will be there. Don't keep poking holes in my argument. Change the city, go back in time, change the wig, whatever you need to do, Charlize. You do you. I will be there. You will have my coins. Oh, you want to be glacial and kill men in Berlin or any other city in the 80s? Yeah. 1880s. That's what we want. Yes. Like, meld that with like a Jane Austen vibe. Instead of vampires, it's Jane Austen and Charlize. Oh, God. I'm into it. John Wick as well. We'll watch anything. Why did you mention John Wick? Because it's the hole to poke through your argument. I don't appreciate it, but I did (laughs) want to pose this philosophical, or at least pseudo-philosophical question to you both. What does it mean for our wider imaginations and, dare I say, the culture, if we're not getting new stuff, if we're not getting new people to look at and hear about, not getting new stories? Is it not the case that our little brains, which are already small, are getting smaller and will end up the size of walnuts? Well, they say our attention spans are down from all this online reading, right? Oh, yeah. I'm fully like a fruit fly now in the amount of time I can dedicate to a book. So here's the chicken and the egg. Are advertisers and and movie makers doing this to us? Or are we doing it to ourselves? Are we demanding it? Yeah, like who's at fault here? You gaze into the abyss. (laughs) And the abyss gazes back and gives you a franchise. I think they've seen that nostalgia works. And so they're like, let's give them more of this. Another example of that is not to bring up Gilmore Girls a zillion times in this episode because we have an interview coming up. A lot of people wanted a Gilmore Girls reboot or spinoff or sequel. And the creators finally said, fine, we hear you. Here it is. Then we got it. And we're like, this isn't as good. We don't like this. How dare you? So be careful what you wish for and just appreciate the thing for what it was. Well, I'll tell you what I'm wishing for. I'm wishing for a show to finally get their due that never got the proper due. Oh? Girlfriend starring Tracy Ellis Ross in mm-hmm. the 1990s was the black sex in the city on UPN, I believe. Yes. And it never got its proper due. In fact, to this day, you still cannot find it on the reruns on Hulu. What? Or Netflix or reruns on cable. Completely dismissed. And they never got the sex in the city treatment with the movie. So I'm here for a girlfriend's movie. I smell a social I need, media campaign. I need, I need more Tracy Ellis Ross in my life. But this is how you make this stuff happen. Like people take to Twitter and they start clamoring for stuff. It's like friend of the podcast now, Doray McKesson said mm-hmm. a couple of episodes ago, perhaps the issue with social media is we're not meant to get this much feedback. And what's it doing when movie studios are so beholden to this legion of fanboys and girls? But usually fanboys, especially when it comes to like Marvel movies, who are being very like dictatorial about what they want. They're like, I want this movie. I want this actor to be in it. And often they get it. Like what happened to just a director saying, you know what? I think I know best. Well, often we don't get it because I'm still waiting on Idris to be Bond. And that has not happened. (laughs) Wow. And it seems like Michael B. Jordan is not going to be Superman. So who knows? Recurrent characters. (laughs) I will be fine if it's Idris. So I'm going to just list some guys I never want to see again. I don't want to see them on my big screen. I don't want to see them on my small screen. Mm -hmm. And then I want to hear yours. Bridget Jones. We're um, done. Yeah. We're done. We're out. She had the baby. We're done. We're spent. We're exhausted. I don't want to see the alien again. I'm done with her. 
And also Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Valid. And I, th- I think I've proven it. How about you guys? That creepy saw guy can never come back again. Why yeah. are we still doing this? Yeah. Let's let it go. Also, I heard a little rumor that Ace Ventura is going to get like oh, a reboot. No. Like, why? Who? Is it? Is it going to be <laughs> Jim Carrey, someone else? Why would we do that? Just go. And then the Green Lantern is supposed to do something else. I'm no. just like, we can just also leave that in the past because I don't even think the movies did well. Also, his superpower is he has a flashy ring. I just... <laughs> so do I. Like, get over it. My entry into who I need to see less of. Mm-hmm. Actually, never again. James Cameron has scheduled not one, not two, but four Avatar sequels that are going to be coming out until 2025. Who asked for this? No one. Like, who is still checking for these overgrown Smurfs? Not I. (laughs) Smurfette? Give her a franchise. But these people? No. He says it's going to be reminiscent of the Godfather trilogy. What? Sure, James. How does that... How... How does how do Godfather and Avatar even remotely <laughs> exist in the same universe? This is just Fern Gully 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> we don't need it. I'm not here for it. Okay, so who do you want to come back? I got some. Glad you asked. Number one, Candyman. Ah, Thank goodness, because Jordan Peele's remaking. Yes. Jamidra, I saw this news. I thought you would be interested. Mm-hmm. I'm all over it. So then we, so we got some questions. So Jordan Peele's going to be directing it. There's some problematic pieces to the original Candyman that you could people say. have brought up. Yeah, you know, so I'm curious to see, because we know how Jordan Peele is a master when dealing with race, like how he's going to sort of like <sighs> do this reboot. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm my, so my excited. My tickets have been purchased. Consider them purchased. Also, Bill and Ted. <laughs> Of course, anything with Keanu. I want to see how those characters have evolved. Also, I, yeah, I just want to see Keanu. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. Same. I am here for the not one, but the two Mulan reboots. The yes. cartoon, Disney cartoon. Two reboots seems like a two. lot. So listen, here's the thing, though. Sony is making one and Disney is making one. Hmm. I will watch both of them back to back, along with the Lion King reboot. Along with the Little Mermaid reboot, shout out to Zendaya. At this point, I feel like maybe I should be doing a Mulan reboot. <laughs> Not in person. <laughs> Somehow supporting it. I don't know. Scarlett Johansson, is that you? <laughs> yeah, oh my God, yeah, hi. I'm playing so many characters this year. Especially Asian ones. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for clarifying. Mm-hmm. So, in short, I think we have agreed we must demand better. Otherwise, we're just going to be like little baby birds, just accepting our regurgitated mama Ooh. bird food mm. of the same characters, the same stories. Our brains will shrink. Go and see your silly Predator movie, Carly. That's fine. But also go and support original filmmaking. Also go and do it in the opening weekend because that stuff mm-hmm. really counts and it really yep. signals to the people who make decisions that you like this and you want more of it. And that's the only way we'll hear from different voices. Ask for what you want, not just in the movie theatre, but in life. And don't give me more Bridget Jones movies. Please don't. Nobody wants that. Quick, what's my favorite show? Gilmore, Gilmore Girls. Girls. Exactamundo. <laughs> that is my favorite show. Anyone who has spent more than four minutes with me or has listened to just one episode of this podcast mm. knows mm-hmm. how deep my love for this show goes. So you can imagine how excited I was when I got the chance to talk to someone from the show. I imagine Ooh. you were <gasps> frothing with yes. excitement. I was so excited. I actually, true story, took an herbal tincture under the tongue that was supposed to calm me down. <laughs> Did it? No. (laughs) Who could have foreseen this turn of events? The person who sold it to me said, it's floral and it gives you the suggestion not to freak out. I'm sorry, you bought it? Oh, yes. Wow. Yep. 
I got um, some snake all over here. Right. I'll buy it if it'll help me not freak out in front of someone from Gilmore Girls. Now, the person is Keiko Agena. You know her as Lane Kim, Rory's best friend from Gilmore Girls. And she has a new book. It's called No Mistakes, A Workbook for Imperfect Artists. I'm like, I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about Gilmore Girls. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do both. And also, if you don't know, Keiko is out here working. She has also been on Shameless, Scandal, Better Call Saul, Felicity, hey. Hey. 13 Reasons Why, and a bunch of other stuff. Good Lord. Come through, Keiko. Busy girl. Come through work ethic. (laughs) Yes. Come through getting paid. Yeah, so we could learn from her on that front, but we can also learn from her philosophy on why failure is actually a good thing. Mm. And, of course, I got some piping hot tea about Gilmore Girls, including which side of the Rory boyfriend wars she's on. So, without further ado, let's roll the tape. Okay, full disclosure, I'm currently wearing a Stars Hollow sweatshirt. (gasps) Yes. Wow. Oh, it I know says, about that place. Founded 1779, <laughs> which you also know about. So I'm running mm-hmm. the risk of geeking out so much during this interview that I ruin it. But no, <laughs> but, it won't ruin it. It'll just make it better. Yeah. Yeah. According to your new book, Messing This Up Might Actually Be a Good Thing. Can you talk to us yeah. a little about your philosophy of why failure can actually be good for us? I wrote a book. It's called No Mistakes, mainly because. When I was trying to pitch the idea of what this book could be, I thought about the way I sort of live my life if I'm in the best, quote unquote, best headspace. And I think that's when I'm easing off the gas pedal of the critical side of myself and uh, accepting where things could possibly go and maybe the rougher edges of myself. And so that was the impetus to write the book. I mean, a lot of it is also based off of improv. And that's where the term no mistakes comes from, because in improv, whenever anything happens that is a mistake, the whole group will jump on it and sort of uh, make the best out of it. And I thought that's a great way to live life. And is there any way that I could look at my failures or my mistakes in a different way to incorporate it into my life instead of being so hard on myself about everything all the time? Yeah, I think a lot of us could relate to getting into bad mantras in our minds of telling ourselves, oh, you messed that up in sixth grade and you look dumb and you can't love these like small things down that the people who are around for that don't remember them. It's all in your head. And there's this awesome exercise in the book. Write a list of all of the bad things you think about yourself. And then you say it's so easy for us to do that easier than it is to write about good stuff about us because it sounds like our voice to say Mm -hmm. negative things. And we need to snap out of that. And your book is trying to help us break through that and also find our creative process. I had a field day with this book, let me tell you. Oh, you did? Yes. That makes me so happy. Yeah, I spent a couple days. And one of the most impactful parts for me was that section where you talk about children making janky art. And we put that on a fridge because we see potential in them and we know they need encouragement, but we lose that for ourselves and how important it is to remember to look at ourselves with those same eyes. And I felt that I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, she got me. Yes. Oh, good. Like we might be older. Our knees might be creaking a little bit, but we Mm -hmm. still have potential to do great things. Damn it. Yeah, I know. Why do I have to think that this is the end? You know, like I I have to create my perfect piece of art right now today. There's always potential for the next thing, you know, for whatever it is that you're going to create next year or five years from now, et cetera. 
It's all part of the journey. It is. I was surprised at how emotional this workbook actually was. It felt very therapeutic for me. If readers could take away one single nugget of therapeutic wisdom from this, what would you want that to be for them? I would say get it out of your head and on a piece of paper. If there's a dream that you have that feels like it's impossible or even just to admit that you might once in a while think about this dream, I would recommend, you know, writing it down on a piece of paper, even if you have to shred it immediately for the fear that someone might actually see it. If there's anything in your life that's like that, the reason that it makes you so nervous is also the amount of intensity that it could change your life for the better even. I fully get excited if there are things in myself or if I hear about things in other people that have that kind of electricity. So I would say start with something small, but then through the repetition of it, you keep doing it until you can start to talk about it and write about it and connect with people over it. That would be the nugget I would try to leave with people. Crumple it up and let it go. (laughs) And there will be more where that came from. And it's all part of the process. I also loved the hold a funeral for a project that didn't work out and just mourn it a little bit and then move on to the next thing. I think I think it's tough when projects go south. Yeah, it's tough being a human and an artist and all of it. Mm -hmm. But your book is trying to help us through something else that helps people when they're in dark times is Gilmore Girls. I would be remiss (laughs) if I didn't ask a few questions about this show. Sure. I'm sure you know how beloved Lane Kim is in the fandom, especially for first-generation kids like myself who Mm. saw a lot of Mm -hmm. ourselves in the situation of being caught between a responsibility to your family but also wanting to rebel and have, you know, your own culture that you create. There weren't that many characters like that on television at the time, especially ones Mm -hmm. that were Asian-American. I was trying to Mm -hmm. think the other day of who I could remember from my childhood that was Asian-American on television. And, of course, I thought Mm -hmm. of you. And then I thought of Trini, the Power Ranger. (laughs) And the Mystery Files of Shelby Wu, which was a show on, like, Nickelodeon, I think. And then I got stuck, and that really made me sad. So it was extra important for the writers to do right by Lane. And I feel like Mm -hmm. they did for the majority of the show. And then things Mm -hmm. got really weird towards the end. I don't know if you agree with this assessment, but (laughs) within a few episodes, if I remember correctly, Lane goes from being on the verge of basically breaking up with Zach to then getting engaged to him to then getting pregnant with twins the first time they have sex on a beach. Right. Yes. And then that whole thing sidetracks her dream of being a rock star. And then she has to watch him become a rock star and she has to stay home. It felt like they underutilized her and mismanaged her story and like lost track of it somewhere Mm. how did you feel about where your character ended up and how lane's story was told well at the time um i enjoyed every bit of lane's process i guess um i think when i was filming it i'm just excited to get pages and to think that i get to perform something interesting but I do think that when I got a chance to step back, step back from it a little bit and look at Lane as a character and watching everything from the outside, I probably feel um, that maybe selfishly I would want uh, something different for her too. And I feel like the worst part mm. for me about the whole Lane situation is yeah. that it felt like she never got to enjoy sex And that there was this, like, trauma around her first time and maybe, like, the rest of her sexual life. Meanwhile, Rory's out having fun messing around with married guys. Like, white privilege is real, y'all. Like, what is going on? (laughs) 
It's too much. I never thought of it like that. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, that's that's a way to that's a way to break it down. Right, you know? that is definitely a way to look at it. It's an exclusive. Man, Man. <laughs> but I I yeah. think I've thought of a way that we can make this better. Oh, great. And okay. it is this. I'm thinking of a spinoff that mm-hmm. exists in an alternate dimension in which <laughs> Dave Rogowski never left. Oh, OK. I like it already. So Keep then going. they stay together. The inspiration for Lane was Helen Pye, someone who worked on the right. show, correct? Yeah. And her husband's name is Dave Rogowski. Yes. They were supposed to be together. And yeah. Dave would know how to have sex, number one. <laughs> and would know to use protection the first time so they don't end up with twins immediately. True. And True. he would foster her career and make sure that he made space for that. Mm-hmm. And he didn't just take all the career for himself, Zach. I know. I know. Wow. Yeah, wow. I told you. You're, you're not kidding. You. you were an actual you. You're an actual fan. Yeah, it's not wow. just the sweatshirt. It is in <laughs> my heart and my soul, for sure. I'm sure you've been asked this final question a zillion times, but I can uh-huh. hear the listeners at home yelling at me to ask this before I do ask this. Know that there's only one correct answer Jess. in my heart. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Team Jess, Dean, or Logan. And the correct answer is Jess. You win. Yes. yes. <laughs> Yay. <sighs> yeah. All of your adoring fans, happy that you made the right choice. Yeah. Yes. It's the right choice. It just I makes mean. sense. It's got to be Jess, right? They were compatible in a very deep way. They both had the same interests. They both love the same books. And they both love each other. And I feel like Jess is the one who, as an adult, as a man, he and Rory would be only become better over time. Whereas I don't know that I could say that about the other two. I think Jess had to, whatever issues that he had, I think growing up and taking responsibility and... And his madness would uh, would solve all of it. Yeah. And Dean would hold her back and Logan would right? end up being a Trump supporter. So that would be uh, confusing. So, yeah, it would. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to. Nope. <laughs> handle it. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We learned a lot. And oh, good. please come back on next time you do something. Well, I just want to talk to okay. you forever. <laughs> OK, I'll come on whenever you want me to. This yes. has been awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Can you tell how much I was fanboy? Oh. I was going to say, did you faint after the interview or, yeah. Right after, just plop <laughs> to the ground. She is the loveliest. Yeah, and is. oh my gosh, I love that she was like, wow, you really like my show, don't you? <laughs> Maybe a little too much. Wait, how does it feel when, so you kind of grew up watching her on your screen and having this intimate like watching relationship with her and then you finally get to talk to her how does that feel well first you have to narrow down the number of questions you have for that Mm, person because you don't want to scare them although i think i did anyway i think it was like wry amusement yeah but it was interesting to hear this voice that i know so well saying certain things because i've seen those episodes a bunch of times but she was saying new things to me and reacting in real time can you believe it Mm. it was wild so you have done the workbook yes what was your biggest takeaway i want to know that funeral exercise that i mentioned in the interview Mm -hmm. of not holding on to dreams that no longer serve you and are not going to happen because you haven't put any work towards Uh, (laughs) whoa that's that's harsh that requires a degree of (laughs) self-reflection that i am not ready for and not here for so this sounds ridiculous but for a very long time i thought you know what I'm going to be the male Grimes. I'm going to have this like little music career. It's not going to be like huge. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be Beyonce level. 
I'm going to have my own little thing. People will adore me in the thousands, not okay, the millions. Wait. Mm. You sing? Sure. <laughs> At karaoke. I held a little funeral, a mental funeral, for being the male grimes in my mind. Mm-hmm. I've let it go. I've also let go of the fact that I will never be on the real world. And that's okay. Um, mm. I had to let that one go as well. Yes. Yeah. No hot tubs for us. Yeah, no. But now that you think about it, do you really want... Do I don't want really chlamydia. Get? No. <laughs> exactly. So it's okay. And Keiko helped me through that. If you want the workbook, again, it's called No Mistakes, a workbook for imperfect artists by Keiko Agena. Go get it. It's the big and the pick. Hey, the big and the pick. Hey. Every now and then, there are things that happen that remind me that I am getting older in life. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Why'd you have to bring that up? It happens. And one such thing happened this week that reminded me that I'm quickly approaching the get off my lawn phase Uh of my life. Shaking fist at cloud phase. Yeah, pretty much. And that is when Nordstrom tried me and a few other people. Normally, Nordstrom and I get along pretty well because Hmm. they have one of the best shoe return policies in the industry. (laughs) Buy a shoe, wear it, you don't like it, bring it back. They're like, did you wear these? You're like, yeah, but... mm." And they're like, it's fine. On carpet. So typically we get along. However, this week, they decided to jump on a particular bandwagon that I am not a fan of. Now, does the phrase trashin' mean anything to you? No. Well, trashin' is a new phrase that they're trying to force onto us, kind of like post-truth. They're like, this is the thing, Mm. and I'm like, no, it's not. And it's a fusion of trash and fashion. So wait, what does trashin' look like to the naked human eye? Oh, well, I will explain it to you. I will break it down. Thank you, thank you. So they recently partnered with a brand called Golden Goose to sell a luxury sneaker. And I use the term luxury loosely. Mm. Uh, And so you guys can't see it. So I'm just going to describe what this sneaker looks like. Imagine you bought a pair of gym shoes 10 years ago. (laughs) Then you walked through a rainstorm. And at that point, they got a little bit of water damage. But you're like, you know, fine. Then your pet puppy chewed them, ripped a hole in the toe. You're like, okay, fine. Bad dog. You throw them in the back of your closet. You don't see them until 2018. Then you find them one day, decide to wrap tape around the toe and wear them outside and move on with your life. Trashin. And turn to the left. Trash. <laughs> I can buy this at Nordstrom now? Yes, for the low, low price of $530. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah, so if you're interested in buying some shoes that make you look like you can't afford to buy shoes, Nordstrom and Golden Goose are the place to be. All the high-end fashion designers are sort of getting on the trash and bandwagon. And in fact, if you Google Mason Margella, I think that's how you pronounce it because I can't even I can't even afford to say it right. That's how. <laughs> but, Pay me. <laughs> Mason Margella Color Block Fusion Leather Trainers. Google that, and you will find them on sale at Bergdorf Goodman. And it looks like somebody has already walked a mile in them shoes <laughs> before they decide to sell them for one thousand. $645. Walked a mile in the shoes, yet understood nothing. Really? Pretty much. So that's where we are, guys. Kanye is charging us $750 for holy sweaters. We're paying $1,600 for beat-up shoes. And on the cheap end, $500 for shoes with tape wrapped around the toe. It is the height of privilege not to have to distress your own clothes. I mean, who has the time? Who has the scissors? Oh. <laughs> well, I think Dolly Parton said it best when she said, it cost me a lot of money to look this cheap. Oh, Dolly. Go on, Dolly. Words of wisdom. So my peak of the week might be a little bit of a tearjerker, but I'm going to just go for it. It's a toast to raise your class. And it is to all of the victims who have suffered at the hands of Bill Cosby. Oof. Because we just learned that he has been sentenced mm-hmm. to three to ten years 
in prison in Pennsylvania for all of the disgusting things he's done over the years to many women. And so I know that they've been waiting for this day. One of his victims spoke out at the, at the trial in a five-page statement. It was a, a victim impact statement. And she said, quote, Bill Cosby took my beautiful, healthy, young spirit and crushed it. He robbed me of my health and my vitality, my open nature, and my trust in myself and others. I think most of us who have never had to deal with sexual assault have no idea what it's like to walk in their shoes. Um, we only got a sliver of a taste of what it's like to be you know, a person who is dealing with that and having people judge you for it when we saw a tweet from our own president earlier this week um, in which he came to the defense of Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and he addressed Christine Ford, who has made some accusations about an encounter that they had years ago. Um, And his tweet said, quote, I have no doubt that if the attack on Dr. Ford was as bad as she says, charges would have been immediately filed with local law enforcement authorities by either her or her loving parents, to which the Internet came back and said, no, we won't be having that. Nope. Okay. Um, So if you want to know what the responses are, tons of people came together um, under the why I didn't report hashtag. In fact, our own DeRay McKesson talked about his own experiences on the hashtag. He uh, suffered from a sexual assault, but they basically said there are plenty of reasons why victims don't come forward. Um, So in the end, I hope that Cosby's sentencing does a few things. One, it puts powerful men, women, non-gender conforming, I don't care who you are, who victimize people on notice that your power and your privilege is not going to protect you anymore. So get it together and we're coming for you. And the other is I hope that it gives victims the courage to speak out because they see that things are happening and that there are consequences for these actions. I'm also going to end with another quote from Andrea Constand. And she said, quote, instead of looking back, I'm looking forward to looking forward. I want to get to a place where the person I was meant to be gets a second chance. So I just want to hold up a glass to these ladies. They're my pick of the week. They give me so much strength. I hope they finally find peace. Rightly so. And also, this is a great reminder, guys, if you care about this stuff in the public eye, you have to care about it in your real lives as well. Mm-hmm. Because there are people around you also going through this, and you got to believe them. And you got to support them. Speak on it. Y'all ready for a song? Yes. Okay. Yes. Back in 2011, there was a simpler time. As I recall, everything was great and nothing was everything wrong. Everything was great. Nothing was wrong at all, right? I think it all went downhill starting in 2016. <laughs> Racism was over. Uh, it was all post-racial. We were fine. Yes. And all the while, there was this one song that was playing everywhere we went. We loved it. We hated it. We made it go away after a while. That's how we are. That's this. how we do. Yeah, that's how we do. And so the other day, I was driving along and I did something that I hardly ever do anymore, which is listen to the radio. Who does that? Whoa. So, Excuse me. Be mindful of where we were. Well, I'm just saying I, you know, I'm, I'm aging into my get off my lawn phase. So uh, radio is my thing now. And this song came on the radio. And although I once hated it, I then started to love it because it transported me back to a time when the only thing that I had to hate was this one song. Gautier and Kimbra sing <laughs> wow. somebody that I used to know. You went there. This episode was edited by me, Emmanuel Hapsis, with help from Ashley Ann Craigbaum. All original music is from Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. And as ever, special thanks go to our podcast papa, David Marcus. If you miss us in the next week, find us on social media. I'm Excuse My Beauty. I'm at Teacup in the Bay. And I'm Jamie Sons. Bye.